0: Welcome to the Radical Lifestyle Podcast, brought to you by Generation to Generation, where you will be inspired by the past, equipped for the present, and prepared for the future as we engage in conversations with people from around the world. Hello, everyone. This is Andrew and Daphne from Generation to Generation, and our guest today is Dana Crosby. Dana, for people that don't know who you are, can you just say a bit about where you're from and what you do?
1: Sure. So, I am, like I said, Dana Crosby. I live in Florida in the United States of America, and I'm a mother and I've been married for 20 some years. Um, I also have my master's from the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, Um, done some short term mission trips to India and Israel. But more recently, the Lord has me doing um, like a home group Bible study that we do with our neighborhood. And I also have a YouTube channel where I'm mostly focus on end times discussion, you know, and my website is you.com. So I really try to focus in on issues that you might not be hearing in the regular, in your regular church service, but, but they're biblical and we need to be talking about these things. So that's kind of my heart and my passion is really to get people into the word of God. And as I always say, helping them to understand the Bible better so that they can have a better relationship with God. That's my heart. That's my passion. Is know your Bible. It's not complicated. Know your Bible so that you can understand the character and nature of God and the hope that we have.
2: So that's a little bit about me. I love the name of that website. Yeah, I, I won't forget that. What your What your pastor never told you. dot com. Yeah. Right. I it's I a, used...
0: I'll never forget that, and then you weren't sure.
2: Oh no, it's the <laughs> comedy of the org. It's like it's like everybody else says their their website, and I just think, oh, you'll remember that and put it underneath this one. I'm like. Yeah,
0: and we like it as well, because we try uh, some of the things that we do. We try and come up with subjects that other people aren't necessarily addressing. So I like that. And I will put links to that website and to the YouTube channel in the description. So for people listening, head there, go check it out. uh, We recommend it.
2: Right. So then when we asked you, you know, what would you like to speak about? You came back with the topic of what I might call biblical suffering. What, what, what's the biblical perspective because I think suffering is an issue we can get so caught up with and so self-centered about and we all have our own experience of how we handle suffering how we walk through it what we think about it and probably if you spoke talk to every person they would have a whole different angle and what it means to them mm-hmm. but of course the ultimate place is, is is what what does biblical suffering look like and what's it about and does the bible even say anything about it
1: Yeah, so I feel like this is a topic that we we really need to talk about. We might not enjoy talking about suffering that much because our flesh hates it. Our flesh wants to run from suffering if we can. Um, But anyone who lives in this world understands that we are living in a world that is groaning, a world that is suffering. We're seeing injustices, things that are happening around us. And how do we wrestle with that? And how do we deal with that when we've been praying to God for, let's say, a certain outcome and that outcome doesn't happen? How do we process those things and how do we handle that? And so I feel like not only for ourselves so that we don't get derailed in our faith, but I've also, because I said I'm a mother, I've got three children, so our oldest is a senior in high school, she's 17 years old. And then we have a third grader. So he's eight. And then we have a six year old kindergartner. So we have someone from all the way at the top of high school down to kindergarten. And as we're going through the season here in the United States, you know, how do we process the events that are happening in front of us? And I feel like a lot of Christians can get easily discouraged. You know, many of us were praying for certain outcomes with the election, we were praying and believing for God's blessing. And then to see certain outcomes happen, how do we process that? And what is God doing in the midst of this? And one of the verses that the Lord continues to bring to my mind is when he's, he's saying blessed are, you know, he's talking about all these different people, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. And one of the verses that keeps coming to my mind is blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And the Bible has just a different perspective on mourning and on suffering than what the world has and what the natural has. Because in the natural, when something dies, that's the end of it. But in in Christianity, when something dies, you're about to have a resurrection. So there's a greater glory, a greater hope that is coming. And so we need to hold on and, and to wait for that. And so I just feel that the body of Christ, and especially you know, here in America with everything that we're going through right now, but this isn't just exclusive to us. I mean, wherever you are in the world, you're facing and going through suffering. And, and how do you process that? Because I really think one of the traps of the enemy is he wants to come to us during those seasons of suffering and say, um, God's mad at you he doesn't like you, you know, you're, you're out of favor with God, you're in trouble, you're, you know, you've got your nose in the corner, you know, something like that. And so then that makes you feel like you can't even go to the Lord, you can't even talk to him or request, or even have an expectation that your prayers are going to be answered. So I feel that there's a real trap to that. And so I just, I wanted to share, if you don't mind, I have a personal story, a couple of them. Um, but um, when my husband and I were first married, we wanted to have children, and we struggled with getting pregnant. So we struggled with infertility. And it's something that ever since I was a little girl, I had dreamed about having, you know, this big family and to have this fear realized, because you know, when I was a kid, I always wanted to have this big family. But there was always this looming fear, like, what if you can't get pregnant? What if you can't, you know, have a kid, and then to actually have what would have been like this horrible fear realized in my life that we, we couldn't have children on our own. Um, it was a real struggle. And I remember, you know, crying out to the Lord, like literally sobbing, bawling, crying out to God. And time after time, he would bring scriptures to my mind and encourage me. We had tried to go to doctors like many couples do these days. Um, and many, some, maybe maybe some of your listeners have had this same experience, because I know a lot of couples have gone through this, um, where Um, we went to them and we asked for help. And we expected that God was going to use the doctors to help us in that circumstance, because we do believe that God can work through doctors and through everyone in their specialties. And after a few months of trying, they said, you know, Dana, your body should be producing eggs with the amount of hormones we're giving you and you're, you're not. And so really, aside from getting a donor egg, there's there's nothing we can do for you. And so we left their doctor's office kind of with this I don't know. My husband just had this devastating feeling that he expected the outcome was going to come one way and it didn't come that way. And for whatever reason, the Lord just chose to give me a supernatural faith in that moment where I just knew that he was going to answer. And he just kept reminding me of scripture after scripture after scripture. And the only way I can say it is it must have been supernatural because there was nothing in the natural that could have given us hope in that situation. And, um, and lo and behold, six months later, um, I got pregnant, you know, <laughs> without any doctor's intervention or anything along those lines. Um, fast forward a few years and we're trying to get pregnant um, again and no success. And finally we decide, well, maybe we should look into adoption. And we had found out when we went to the adoption agency that there is something called embryonic adoption, which a lot of people have never heard of it. It's totally novel to a lot of people. Um, and what it is, it's where other couples have gone for fertility treatments and they've created multiple embryos and they've used the embryos. They want to have children. And there's these embryos that are left. And, um, the place that we go to it's pro-life, they never destroy embryos that are created. And so they allow them to be adopted. Basically. I mean, it's considered donation because there's no formal adoption proceedings that happen. Um, And so and so we did that. And, um, and our son, our second born son came from from that. And I was able to be pregnant with him, give birth to him, all of that. Well, about six months after he was born, we started noticing he was having severe health issues, and they were life threatening. And um, he, he was getting hydrocephalus on the brain, which is where you get too much fluid on the brain. And it was causing his head to swell because at that age at six months, you know, they don't have their 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 skull is not fused yet. And we found out that he had this ultra ultra rare condition called a vein of Galen malformation. And what that is, is it's a malformation in the deepest parts of the brain Um, the veins that should normally go from arteries down into tiny little capillaries where all the nutrient transfer happens and then back to veins, there were capillaries that were missing. And so arteries, um, high blood pressure arteries were pumping this high blood pressure blood into veins directly. And it was causing hydrocephalus and all this kind of stuff. When we went to the first doctor that told us what it was, he diagnosed him correctly, but basically gave him like a zero chance of survival. He, we left that doctor's office with like a death sentence. And we were just crying, we were asking all of our friends to pray all of our friends on Facebook. Um, and long story short, the Lord gave us a doctor to help him and miraculously go in and, and um, with a little tiny catheter glue shut these veins that were malformed. And so now our son is thriving, he's doing well, he doesn't have brain damage, he survived, there's a whole long miraculous story to that. But when we were going through that is what my point is, when we were going through that, there are times where you're wondering, why God, why is this happening to me? Lord, I've tried to serve you faithfully my whole life. I've always wanted to have kids. Why is this being such a struggle? And, and of course, Satan wants you to think, you know, maybe, maybe you did something wrong or all of this kind of stuff. And it's when you're going through those times of suffering that the Lord can really make your faith unshakable, that your faith can become Through the forging of those circumstances, your faith can become such that it doesn't matter the circumstances that you're facing, but that you know that God is for you and that he's not against you. And the scriptures that the Lord reminded me of, first of all, he told me about Jesus and he said, look at my son. He did everything right, right? He lived a perfect life. And yet I still allowed him to suffer. I still allowed him to go through that. And then look at Job. Here he is. And God's bragging about him. Look at my servant, Job. He's more righteous than anyone on the earth. Have you seen this? And so he allows us to sometimes go through this. And one of the questions that I've been asking to my friends, like on Facebook and just wanting them to think about, does God want patience developed in the church? You know, does he want endurance developed in the church? And how are these attributes actually accomplished? Like, is there any circumstance that's easy that we can then develop patient endurance and perseverance? You know, these types of qualities. So, um, so as we're going through these things, I think it's really important for us to process biblically what is the good fruit. And then when you think about the scriptures where God says all things work for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. So it doesn't matter what Satan's trying to do in your life, how he's trying to mess things up or whatever. God, if you submit to God in the midst of it, he can use those circumstances to bring out good, to draw out good characteristics, to transform you into being like himself in the midst of those circumstances. And so this is why, and I've been taking time with my kids, um, Daphne, and I know you've done this with your kids growing up, is trying to train them and teach them now. Because here's the thing, when we're, we as Americans, when we're going through this foraging right now, when we're going through this time of watching someone radically transform our country, it can be grievous. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, blessed. And so when when we look at Jesus's and God's perspective on who is blessed, it's sometimes the opposite of what it looks like in the natural. In the natural, you're like, that person doesn't look blessed, but God's saying, hey, they're blessed. And Daphne, you really inspired me and maybe you wanted to share about like, what is it that you taught your kids growing up about the biblical doctrine of suffering?
2: Well, (laughs) mine was a little bit... um extreme, <laughs> in that um, I lived with, um, I, I travelled with, and I spent time with Pastor Richard Bernbrandt, who, um, he was kind of the founder of Voice of the Martyrs, and he was in Romania in solitary confinement for about seven years. He suffered mm. horrifically. Mm. So I was quite young, early teenager or so, and, and that, that really formed something in my life, a different perspective. And as I looked in the Bible I saw that persecution suffering etc was normal it 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 was normal out there I mean people didn't try and preserve their lives they lived radically and if suffering came with it well that was a part of what it was didn't mean they always liked it um mm-hmm. you know thankfully the bible is very real emotionally and and real and I'm thankful for that and so I kind of raised mine to say, hey, this is normal. Even if you're going to be martyred, that is a biblical normal. And that we are called to be lights and light goes to darkness. So you run to where the darkness is and that's usually where the danger is. So I, I had this perspective of not trying to avoid it, but but you keep going despite it. But you know, when when you were talking day I had this thought: our perspective of God and of life is based on what we perceive as good. You know, God is good. You know, this is good and bless us. And it's a certain, almost um, lens that we see. I mean, now I know people are listening to this or in persecuted nations and they'll probably be raising their hands in in horror <laughs> at how we in the West perceive God because they're actually really, 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 really suffering, many of them who are listening. Um, and when people say, oh, so-and-so happened and then they're saying, God is good, I want to say, if that had not turned out the way you hoped, would you still be saying, God is good. Mm-hmm. So we have this, I don't know, we have built around ourselves this, this mentality that of what we believe good is and not what we believe good is. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the biblical perspective of what is good is different than what our flesh says is good. And that's why Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are all of these people. And we're looking at that saying, Those people don't seem blessed. Well, they're going to be blessed in the kingdom. They're going to be blessed for what they're enduring now. And this is what I spoke to my son, because my son, who's eight, he's in third grade, Max, he's the one that had all all the health conditions. Um, and he has just such a special place in my heart because we spent so much time in the hospital together and all this stuff, but he has been faithfully praying, 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 praying praying during this whole season for a certain outcome to happen. And we've been agreeing with him for a certain outcome to happen in the United States. And what I've asked my friends on Facebook is what are we teaching our kids in this moment? Are we teaching them to panic? Are we teaching them to press into God? how are we teaching them to interpret the events that are happening? And so I had him by myself in the car the other day and I said to him, you know, Max, do you remember the story of Job? And he said, yes, you know, and we reviewed the story of Job. And I said, when things were going good, Job was praising God. But even when things were taken away, he said, naked, I came forth from my mother's womb. Naked, I will return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he was ready to praise God in the midst of bad circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think those of us that really know and understand and are clinging clinging to the character of God, we're able to praise God even before we see the miracle happen. So I was thinking about the Israelites. God God brings them out of Egypt with signs and wonders and a mighty hand of deliverance. And he brings them along to the Red Sea. And then suddenly they're trapped between the Red Sea and the mountains. And the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. And instantly they're, ah, you know, they're freaking out. And they're thinking Moses is a false prophet. And why did you bring us here? And all this kind of stuff. And it's not until they get to the other side that Miriam sings and prophesies to the lord and everyone is prophesying and in my heart i said what if we could praise god on this side <laughs> that, what if we could know who he is now before yeah. the deliverance happened?
2: that is my one of my life goals i say give me the testimony before the event yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and uh yeah. also
0: uh, shed meshach and Abednego thrown into the lion's den yes. and uh the furnace and um and they they said, "You know we believe God will deliver us, but even yeah. if He doesn't, it doesn't change anything. I still believe what I believe, whether He does yeah. deliver or not
2: yeah, and yes. my my phrase for this year, I don't often have it, is but even if he doesn't, yeah. and I think mm-hmm. often people think of faith believing He's going to rescue us, and the but even if he doesn't is seen as a weakness of faith. Oh, you've got to mm. believe, don't believe, and I think people forget. That the enormity of faith is, I'm going to believe him if he does, and I'm going to believe him if he doesn't. And I think mm-hmm. so often we do not get the big picture. Well, we don't get the big picture. We don't get the big picture of what God is doing in our lives, in our nation, and in the world. And, and, and you know, just going back to the United States, God has a plan that He is working out in the nation, and it will affect. The world, because he has a plan. He has an end time plan that he is carefully orchestrating, mm. and we can read about it in the Bible. He's—he this didn't happen by chance. It's mm. a part of his big plan, mm. and we're so um, myopic. Is that the word? We we just see things in our own little world that we forget that God has the big plan, and that is surely what we what we need to trust. Absolutely. And you know, he does tell us to
1: continue to ask and keep asking and he gives us the example of the unjust judge and the widow who goes to get justice. And she continues to ask and seek and knock. And he says, even though he is unjust, he's going to hear, he's going to, he's going to answer her just because she's so persistent. And he's telling us, I want you to do the same thing. I want you to do the same thing. And so he gives us hope to continue to ask and keep asking, to ask in faith because he's not unjust. He is just, justice is coming. Satan is not getting away with anything. And this is what I told my son is I said, whatever Um, suffering God allows you to go through, it is only temporary, just like in Job's case, it was severe, but it was only temporary. And the end was better than the beginning. And so God is getting ready to reward you. He is and this is one of the things that I felt like was a big revelation to me when I was going through some periods of intense suffering, like we were walking through the valley of the shadow of death with our son. But yeah, the suffering, it it is only, it's only temporary. It's only there for
2: a moment. And then he is going to bring his reward. You remind me of the Hebrews 11 heroes of faith, because I mean, it even says some of those chose to remain in prison and that because they knew what was ahead. They knew the eternal glory. They knew. Exactly. And and they had this, you know, say it's only temporary. Um, This life is like this, you know, and, and. And if we lose the eternal perspective, along with the big picture of this earth, again, we're drawing back in, we've lost God's perspective. Mm. I mean, all of them um, had a vision for what was coming. They had a vision for what God had for them. Mm. And, And that's what kept them going through the suffering. And some of them, oh my goodness, it describes their suffering, it's like, outrageous suffering and I think if we lose that vision of where we're going we lose the vision of of the eternal weight of glory we lose the vision of how he's refining us for that eternal weight of glory then we're like we've lost God's plot and we get lost in it Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Mm. yeah I think um having having been amongst the persecuted church a lot we've been in those those nations a lot they have a whole different perspective you know there was a time when some from them were asked um, you know what shall we pray for you thinking well pray it ends and they said don't pray that it ends do not pray that it will end just pray that we will be faithful mm. and, and they had a, a different perspective from from the west on suffering
1: mm. yes and I, I think something about going through suffering, it, it does absolutely transform us. And when we wrestle with this and we understand who God is, we can come through it better. But I noticed that, for example, now that we see the war that we're in, because sometimes when things are, are seeming good, what we call good, when, <laughs> our definition of good, when things seem good, we don't realize we're in the middle of a war. We don't realize what the enemy is up to. We don't realize um, all the subtle tactics that he is trying to engage in. But now in our country, it has become unveiled. It has become unveiled that the goal is, is to oppress and suppress anything that has to do with God and truth right? And so it's the whole antichrist spirit that he wants to throw truth to the ground. And so we have seen an out and out, like we're going to de-platform anybody that's, you know, speaking this way or says something against our narrative. And what it has evoked in me, because in I'm pretty introverted, like I'm, I'm a pretty introverted person. And so I, I do find it amazing that God has called me to, you know, doing an online ministry and all that kind of stuff, because I'm kind of shy i get ner- i used to get nervous a lot talking in front of people um he's helped develop that in me now but one of the things that has happened since they have come out and they have said look we're ready to deplatform you instead of silencing me it has been making me bolder it's like okay well, you're, you're obviously going to oppose, oppose us and try to silence us, but the truth is not going to be silenced and I'm going to become even more bold. And I find myself posting things that are more bold, more truthful, more in your face, more um, prophetic, more provocative than what I ever would have before. And so it's actually, you know, it's fanning into flame, the thing that is there. And so I think the church here will wake up. And realize we are in a war, and how in the world can you fight a war if you don't realize that you're in the middle of, of a battle? So I think probably one of the biggest detriments to the church is thinking that everything is hunky-dory, everything's easy going, and not realizing that we're in a spiritual battle. And now I wake up every day, I'm ready to fight this battle. I'm praying in the spirit. I'm seeking God. I'm I'm doing. I'm living differently as a result of this. And so there is good fruit that we can already see. And I will say this. I have heard several people talk about or prophesy a harvest. And I will say that I have seen people that we have been praying for neighbors, um, close family members that we have been praying for that are suddenly, suddenly more interested in God, suddenly wanting to come to Bible study, suddenly saying to me, um, Hey, I need to have a conversation with you about my faith. And so I'm getting really excited <laughs> because um, Satan can't, he doesn't have better strategy than God and so even though his strategy is out in the open and obvious for all to see God is working it might not be out in the open for all to see but I'm seeing little bits of it here and there and I wouldn't be surprised if other people are also seeing um, the beginnings of a harvest so I'm getting excited about that
0: yeah it's in the suffering and in the hard times where we really grow we don't really grow when things aren't difficult Um, right and then what you're talking about in terms of the church rising up and and this has been true throughout history whenever the church is persecuted when pressure is applied it causes it to rise up and there there are so many cases of that happening and i even thought of this pastor that we we knew of um i can't remember which country he was in but he was captured and uh because of the teachings that he had preached in the church they were going to execute him mm. and Right before they executed him, he didn't plead for his life. He said to them, if you execute me, my blood will be on my teachings. And said, basically knew that in his death, there would be life for other people. And it would only fan the flames of people's interest in what he was doing. And the mm. people that were going to execute him realized what he said was true. And so they didn't execute him. <laughs> um, wow. And so but it, the, the point being, you know, even this guy facing death, knew that in his death was life and that it wasn't Mm -hmm. the end for him but it meant possibly eternity for other people as well and so again seeing the suffering we could go that is horrendous where is the justice in this situation but he again didn't see it from that perspective
2: but don't you think it even goes back let's go back to the moment of salvation right back there um again we we do big just because we think that way in the east and in the west Because what the United States is experiencing now, it it is a lot, it's massive, but compared with what the East are going through, it's only the tip of the iceberg, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, um, the challenge that they give people when they come to Jesus is, this is what it means to follow him are you prepared to leave everything are you prepared to die are you prepared to lose your family are you prepared to lose your friends are you prepared to lose for all this which was what jesus said leave everything follow me yes. and he said take up your cross and it wasn't yes. a little thing round the neck they all knew what a cross looked like um mm. it would take up your cross and follow me and i think even at the moment of salvation In the West, it's close your eyes, everybody, while your heads are bowed. While nobody is looking, lift your hand. I'm not mocking that. I'm just drawing the comparison that we do not set people right at the moment, personally speaking, on Jesus is Lord over every area of your life. It might cost you. Are you ready to follow him? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I
1: think that's so important to point out. And it's something that I've been thinking about lately, because our flesh continues to want to rise up and live, you know, like Paul says, I die daily, I'm having to constantly crucify my flesh. And so there'll be times where I'm doing like chores around the house. And I'm thinking about, you know, well, I hope I don't have to give my life, you know what I mean, like these fleshly thoughts come up. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I was supposed to surrender everything at the beginning, like, not supposed to be living for me right now i I should be already dead like i should be living dead to myself and alive to jesus i shouldn't say i hope i don't have to give my life i surrendered my life when i came to jesus and said this is yours it's not mine anymore (laughs) so what am i doing still trying to Hmm. grab a hold of it and so i keep trying to remind myself and remind my flesh no you don't belong to you anymore (laughs) you i already surrendered that that's gone and I think in the West, we do need to do a better job of understanding that's what salvation is. That's what coming to Jesus is, is I am dying to myself right here today. So it doesn't matter if they crucify me later because I'm dying today so that I can live, you know, in eternity. So, yeah, I do think we have to have that biblical perspective Um absolutely of what what it means to follow jesus what does it mean it means everything not just part it yeah. means all he deserves it all
0: yeah i was i heard um dr michael brown talking about a trip that he made and there was a potentially uh serious situation um unfolding in front of them and and uh, if he went and spoke or interacted in the situation it could have meant physical harm to him and and the person he was with raised michael brown said you realize if you do this uh you could get hurt and michael brown's like yeah sorry so what are you saying he goes well if you do this you could end up getting really badly hurt he was like so what what are you trying to say and he (laughs) goes well you realize this could be a problem yeah and he goes oh yeah but i i counted that cost the day i got saved he said i realized then that it could mean mm-hmm. this, it, why? So he just saw it as a, a given. Yeah, this right. is going to happen. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so what's the question? I'm not really sure what your point is. <laughs> <laughs> and
2: I Absolutely. think you know, when we think of of children of young people, um, I have two thoughts about it. First of all, nowhere in the Bible are the words "be careful." they're just not there. What do I hear parents saying all the time? "Be careful! Be careful! Be careful!" I'm not. Like, Where did that come from? Because it's nowhere in the Bible. The only
0: times it says it in the Bible is like, be careful to do what I've told you to do or something like that. Oh, be careful to do what (laughs) I tell you,
2: yeah. But I mean, not not in that context. And the Bible says, be bold and be wise. And we've got to raise a bold, wise generation. Now, on the flip Mm. side of this, we have travelled and we, we give a very, very bold challenge to the emerging generation. And we we have them i mean sometimes thousands of them and we say look at look me in the eye just keep your eyes and we say we believe your generation are ready for something more than you're being given now we believe you're ready for people to believe in you Mm -hmm. we believe you're ready for people to give you a challenge that, in the natural you can't do we believe you're ready to die for something you're ready for something that's worth giving your life for And Dana, they drop on the ground and they weep. And I see in a generation that is ready for this challenge. It's not a challenge that, I mean, in reality, they're not going to sail through it. I, I mean, I'm not stupid enough to think they will, but they're ready for that. And I think the problem is the generation before them are so wrapped up in caution that they're not connecting mm-hmm. with what the Holy Spirit is writing on their hearts. The Holy Spirit is preparing this generation to stand through the darkest times this world has known to go to the last unreached nations to give their lives and that is what is writing on their heart. And as soon as you say it to them, it's like a fire explodes in them. Yeah. Now, um, you know, I think... If we don't give them that challenge, here's the danger. They're going to pick it up somewhere else. And why are so many of them going for suicide bombers? Why are some of them going for terrorist targets? Why are so many of them wanting to join Islam and things like that? It is because they give them that challenge. We'll give you something to die for. And even from childhood, mm-hmm. they're training them to kill. They're training them to give their lives for something. And I think the church has got to pick up this mandate. Parents have got to pick up this mandate. Mm-hmm. And I would say this, the mandate isn't to send them. The mandate is for us to lead the way and show them that this mm-hmm. is what our lives are for. And um anyway, excuse my little preach, but that, that, is, that is where our heart is. And... um like Andrew often preaches, he said Mordecai put his life on the line before he challenged Esther to. Before he said, Esther, you were born for such a time as this and that for such a time as this meant you you could die, he put his life on the line first so he could challenge them. So here ended the sermon. I'll hand it back to you, (laughs) David.
1: You're absolutely right, absolutely right. And that's what I'm trying to do you know, with my kids is just take this opportunity and I hope other parents will also, as they're wrestling with these circumstances, as they're wrestling in prayer with what they're going through, take this opportunity to train your children for how to endure, because life is going to throw stuff at everybody. It doesn't matter where you live, it doesn't matter even what time period in history you live in, life is gonna send stuff your way and how are you going to handle those things? How are you going to interpret those events that are before you? And I just know that if you continue to press into God, continue to grab a hold of His garments, or to continue to wrestle with Him, He is going to speak those words of life to you. He's going to encourage you with the Word of God, encourage you to trust in Him. And I went through like after the um, after January sixth, um, and even. January 20th here in the United States when they had the inauguration, um, I definitely went through a period of mourning and grieving um, because I know that it means wickedness is in the White House. I know what it means. I know what it means, and so I went through this period of just grief and wrestling. And um, but like like I said, Jesus said, "Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted." And I can tell you now. I have supernatural joy, I have supernatural peace, I have supernatural faith from God. And so I wake up every day with a giant smile on my face. And I come to God in prayer, smiling and continuing to petition him to move and act on the situation and remove wickedness from high places and restore righteousness to our land. But I have it with the joy of the Lord. And it's a supernatural gift And I'm so grateful to God for it. And so I just wanna encourage anybody that's going through a season of suffering right now, whether it's the events in the United States or something else, press into the father, press into him. He is neither he neither despises nor dismay is dismayed by the suffering of the afflicted one, but he listens to his cry for help. And so we have a very present help in time of trouble. He is there for us. He will be there for you. He will be faithful and you can put your trust and you can put your hope in him. And he is going to Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the other cool thing is the Lord prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Hmm. So even if our enemies are surrounding us, he is going to provide a table for us, a banqueting table for us in the presence of our enemies. So we can feast on the joy, the peace, the the love of God and, and, and survive and not just survive thrive overcome in the midst of suffering yeah. hallelujah praise be to the lord he's the only one who can do that yeah <laughs> he's the only one who can do that
0: you said about um, suffering having joy in it preparing a feast in the midst of your enemies who is the pastor in prison
2: Which um, remember?
0: Uh, who um oh, he yes. didn't get the food it's kind of it's a funny it's a story. It's kind of interesting, one kind of funny, but it sort of touches on a few different things that you've said in a way. God can provide in these situations if you do what He asks, or or take His perspective on things. Sometimes the outcome
2: can be quite humorous. But- yeah. So this was Pastor Richard Burnbrandt too. He he was um, in solitary confinement, no food or anything, and and I mean what he suffered was unbelievable. Anyway, he remembered while he's in the solitary confinement in this tiny cell that it says, um, when you're persecuted, rejoice and um, with exceeding great joy and uh, great shall be your reward. So he thought, well, I've just got to rejoice. So in his little cell, he starts jumping up and down and rejoicing, you see, in the cell. And the guards looked through the window and thought he's lost his mind. He's, he's he's lost his mind. We've got to do something quick. We don't want him to go completely insane. And they rushed out and started putting all this food in the cell for him. And he had this <laughs> great feast. And he was like, and great shall be your reward. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So that, that, was a, that is a really true story. But, it, you know, we don't always get the food through the table, but we are told what to do and, and how to handle it. You know, thinking about the next generation who are watching us. I mean, they are watching us one way or another. And often I find as adults, um, with your own children, and I'm thinking wider for that generation, we tend to go into a room and quietly discuss a problem because we don't want to expose them to them. We want to protect them from it. Very true. (laughs) And I say to parents, what are you doing For a start, Mm -hmm. I'm 99% sure they know about it anyway. They pick it up, they hear behind, they know what's going on. And then I say, you know, the problem isn't the problem. The problem is how you deal with it. And they need to see and they need to be exposed to the problems so that they see how to walk through it. And mm. not that we shut it all away and just leave them isolated because we're not meant to be isolated through problems. We're meant to mm. be together. And I can remember an instance happening in our family that was huge. I mean, it was big and everybody was suffering. And And I remember saying to my granddaughter, um, and I remember saying to her, I want you to watch me as we go through this because you're going to meet problems. And my goal is to show you how to walk through them, and you will always look back and say, "My nana showed me how to walk through it and I mean that puts pressure on you. <laughs> I mean you've got to do this thing well, but it's a good pressure, and I think we have to um we have to bring them in we don't put our emotions on them that's not, they're not meant to carry our emotions then. you're
0: not you're not having them fix it no
2: either. you're not having them fix it and you're not having them care for you and they don't have to handle all your emotions but they do need to see and be a part of the journey you know when when the armies came down against Jehoshaphat there was the whole nation in terror i mean what was going to happen here they come what did what did what they do he said bring the men the women, the children, and the babes in arms, and he brought them to stand before the Lord. And they all experienced the victory. They all saw the spirit of God fall. Whereas what we do today is we put them in the other room. We Have put someone the, look
0: after them over there over uh, while there, we discuss. And
2: yeah. we are going to deal with it. And that's not a biblical model for suffering, I don't think. I mean, I think when Paul was in prison... Who did he send for? He sent for Timothy to bring his cloak, bring him. And I often wonder, one, he knew Timothy would be faithful, but what's he saying to Timothy? Come and see me so that when it happens to you, you know how to do this. So I Mm -hmm. think we have a massive responsibility, but it's a good one (laughs) because it makes us feel responsible in the minute. But to be those role models through suffering...
1: Yes, and to pay attention to how we're handling it, that we need to come into a place of maturity in, in Christ and trusting in the Lord, and that people are watching, whether it's our kids or whether it's our neighbors or people online or whatever, they're watching, how are we handling this? How are we going through this? And, um, yeah, when I think about even Job's situation, when, when Satan came and he was talking to God and he said, you know, well, of course he's serving you because you've blessed him. So of course, who wouldn't serve you when you've blessed him like that? But if you take those things away, he's going to curse you to your face, you know? And I wonder how many people that are not believers look at believers' lives. If, the, if let's say our lives are very blessed, they look at us and they say, well, of course they serve God, but they've never had anything hard happen to them. They've never been through anything bad. But then when they see you going through the trial, going through the midst of it, and you're still leaning on God and you're still trusting in God in the midst of it, then they're like, oh, wow, maybe this is real. You know, Maybe there's something to this. And so um, I do think that there is such a testimony that happens not only for our kids, but for anyone that's watching how we handle adversity, because as a believer, we should be 180 degrees different from the world and how we handle it. And instead of being devastated, like the world is devastated, I'm not saying we can't have periods of mourning, but we don't grieve the way the world grieves because we have a hope. And so as they watch us go through this period of suffering, just like what happened with our son, I mean, we spent We had to go to New York City for, I can't tell you how many surgeries, not surgeries, but procedures in his brain that he had to have over like, over two years, I think we went there maybe eight or nine times, and we still need to go back one time. He's almost cured, but not quite. He still has these two tiny little veins that have to be closed off. But that whole experience was done in front of everyone. I mean, we had everyone in our church praying. We had people on Facebook praying. And as we went through that valley, we were posting on Facebook what was going on. This is what happened at the hospital today. And this is what God is doing in the midst This is what I'm asking you to pray. And so they witnessed Are they witnessed our suffering, but not just our suffering. They witnessed how did we suffer? How well did we suffer? How did we glorify God in the midst of our suffering? How did we lean into him and trust in him and not let our faith be shaken in the midst of that? And so I think all of that is a shining example that draws people to him. So this is an opportunity, like you're saying, it's an opportunity like no other to train our children and to and to really model what does it mean to follow Christ to people around us, so they can see what it really what it really means, because they're going through suffering, and they know what it is like to go through suffering without God. They I think, know what that's like.
2: I think too, yeah. we were never created. I don't think to suffer alone. Right. You know the, the greatest one of the greatest um, sources of victory in suffering is when we're suffering with others when mm. when others are walking with us in suffering mm-hmm. um i have a a friend of mine who's a trauma counselor and she talks about the the suffering in the holocaust and she said one of the greatest gifts to people in that was that they weren't alone in their suffering. They have people with them. It's when people are isolated in their suffering that the, the suffering increases. Now you said, you know, you had people who walked with you through that. Yes, you posted to them that, but you know, you knew there were people traveling with you. And I think that's where the body of Christ comes in, that we're mm-hmm. meant to be in this together, not the division that we're seeing at the minute, not this crazy division, but we're meant to be in this together. And walking together, it's where the world needs to know we're in this with you. We're not set apart, but we're walking this with you. Um, I mean, I took this to a whole other sort of level when Andrew and Daniela were younger. (laughs) We were under armed guard together. We were in terrorist targets together. We were stormed by police together. We were together in it. I mean, we, you know, so me and my house will serve the Lord and we will do this thing together. But I think the flip side of this is that we're meant to be, walk with people. We're, we're not meant to suffer by ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think then it puts the other side of it. It's like, okay, well, I want to be with that person in suffering. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach them. I don't know what to do. So we draw back. and And I just want to say... And, and you may, you probably got a lot to add to it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You just have to be there with them in their suffering. They need to know that you will sit with them in their pain and you will be there. And, and, and it isn't, not to feel, I don't know what to say, I don't know what it's like to me, which separates, but be with people in their suffering
1: absolutely daphne what you're saying is is so key because it was the body of christ never before in my my walk with the lord had i understood the the importance of the body of christ how significant the role is of the body of christ and we were held up by our family in the lord during that time and we had believers Praying for us and our family from all over the world. They were praying for us from our local church, but all over the world, they were praying for us and they walked with us through that. They held us up. And so while we were in the hospital and having to make life or death decisions, having to talk to the doctor and, and doing the the daily deeds, they were bringing us before the Lord. They were continuing to hold us up. And so that I will never forget it. I will never forget. Um, how important that was to us in that season of suffering to walk together and to have others to rely on, um, to to, to link our arms together during that time of suffering. And through that, um, they also were partakers in the miracles that happened in Max's deliverance, they were partakers, they were share owners in that, because um, they had been praying into his deliverance, they had been praying for the doctors to be able to do a work. And when they were, they got to see that prayer answered and so yeah it 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 was a real blessing to all of us to be able to grow and go through Mm. that experience and that time together so yeah absolutely such an important
2: thing I remember you saying after your father had died you said it wasn't all the great words that people said but somebody came up to you and said what did they say and you said that meant more than anybody else
0: Uh, Yeah, a lady came to me. I didn't even really know her that well. Mm. Um, I knew her husband more, but she just said, uh, if you ever just want some company, then you know I'm willing to just come and sit there. You don't have to say anything. Um, And that, Mm. in that time, meant more to me than a lot of these other people that thought they were saying the right things. But often, uh, people thinking they're saying the right things actually doesn't really help very much in the situation. Um, But yeah, I... I was thinking as we get towards the end, there may be people listening who maybe they don't have a faith. um, They struggle with the idea of uh, a loving God yet allowing suffering to happen in our world. Um, What would you say to these, these people that may be listening at the minute?
1: Yeah. So suffering entered the world through sin, right? So when God first created the world, of course it was made without any death and without any suffering. Um, but when man rebelled against God, that allowed sin and death and suffering to enter the picture. But instead of death reigning, even see all of us have sinned, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the punishment for sin is death, right? Because God is life and to be separated from him is death. But even though that would have been just, God loved us so much. He loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to take the punishment for your sin, for my sin. And so he died a gruesome death on the cross in replacement for us. And to me, this is just so powerful that God being God, being holy, being perfect, never, um, never doing anything wrong, took on human flesh. And was willing to suffer along with us. I think about the time that he lived, there was no electricity, there was no running water. And he suffered with mankind, even just wearing a human body, just putting that on leaving heaven, who would want to leave heaven and the heavenly hosts and having all the angels cater to you, and yet put on human flesh, endured pain and suffering in that way. And then took on the cross, was willing to suffer and die for our sins. So he is not unfamiliar with our suffering. He's not a God that just sends lightning bolts from heaven and never has endured suffering. But yet he put on suffering and and for you. And then he was raised back to life again so that you could be saved. And so I would say, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord, this would be the perfect time to say, Lord, you suffered all for me. You are worth it. And and I want you and for us to make the trade of our life for his is we're getting the better end of the deal. We are getting the better deal. So I just encourage you to lay down your life for Jesus and receive the
2: gift of salvation, um, which is eternal life. Mm. So how about Dana at this point, for anybody who's listening, um, you pray for those who Mm -hmm. um, who are really struggling with this you know, mm-hmm. really struggling with this whole um issue. It is hard, especially if you're in pain, physical pain. I mean, that is there is no respite from that as you're wrestling going through this. And so the people who are walking through this and um how about you pray for them as as they're listening. Yes.
1: Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with each one that is listening right now, that you are there next to them and with them, Lord God, and that you are not a God that has despised suffering, but you willingly allowed it to be put upon yourself, that you took it upon yourself, Lord God, that you are familiar with every bit of human suffering and pain. And so for those that are suffering physically in their bodies, and, and I know what this is like. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I had so much pain in my joints that I couldn't Couldn't hardly get out of bed or couldn't hardly get off the couch because the pain was so severe. Um, But Lord, I know that when we are weak, we are strong because your strength is made perfect in weakness. So even if we are in a state of being crushed and weakened, um, your strength is made perfect in that. And that um, we can rejoice all the more, Lord God, because you are about to be glorified in that situation. Lord, when we are weak, we are strong. And so I pray that for those that are suffering right now, that you would speak to them, that you would whisper in their ears, words of encouragement from the scriptures, words of life, that you would give them that table in front of, um, in, in the presence of their enemies, that you would give them that table of your word to feast on your word so that they would be able to ingest that word of God into them and know that you are there for them, Lord God. And I pray that those words you speak would bring a great harvest in their lives, a great transformation and a great harvest, Lord God. And Lord, I just pray right now for each one that they would tangibly feel your presence with them. And here's the thing that I know, if you are with us, God, then everything is going to be okay. All we need is your presence, God. All we need is your presence. We don't want to go anywhere outside of your presence, God. And so if you're with us, and that's what encouraged me so much. I just, I just remembered I had had a dream after I had been praying and I had a dream and the Lord showed me um, when I woke up in my dream, I was uh, I woke up and I was looking outside my house and there were um, clouds everywhere, but under the, the cloud level was low. It wasn't fog, but it was just like clouds all around in my neighborhood that I could see. And, but I couldn't see very far because the clouds were there, but yet underneath the clouds, instead of it being dark, it was light. And it was like a light source that was there that wasn't from the sun. It was reflecting underneath the clouds. And I was amazed by that. And when I woke up, I began to think um, that it was the presence of the Lord. It was the glory of the Lord. And when the glory of the Lord is there, we might not be able to see very far. We might not be able to know what's coming in the future, but it absolutely doesn't matter because your presence Lord is here with us. And it just brought me so much courage and encouragement to know, you're with us. You are with us in the midst of our suffering. And so we can absolutely rejoice because we have everything we need because you are our all in all. So I just pray that you would bless those who are going through this, help them to endure well, Lord God. And I pray for great fruit to come from the suffering that happens. Just like when a woman gives birth, the, the suffering is great for a short period of time, but then it produces a great harvest, Lord God. And so that's what I pray for um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Dana, thank you so much for joining us and sharing with us some of your story and, and talking to us about a subject which is a little tricky, can be difficult to talk about. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah, thank My you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. I had a great time talking with you guys.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If it inspired you, please rate us and subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify or another podcast platform.